A reminder uh, as to what we are doing this, uh, this month. We're talking about experiencing the presence of God. Now, you could find yourself, I guess, in a, in a number of different positions in relation to that. Firstly, you might say, I didn't know that was possible. I mean, that might be your first response. You just didn't know that it was possible to experience the presence of God. Or you might be a person who says, well, that's great, David. I have a sense of God's presence often. Uh, and, and I enjoy it, or you could be somewhere in between where maybe you, you, you did sense God's presence once or, or you sort of have some notion, but perhaps it's not something that happens often or, or, or hasn't happened for a long time, and you'd like to know more about what that looks like and, and how God does it, if you like. The great passion of God's heart, we said last week, was that he has revealed to us throughout the Scriptures that he wants to dwell in the midst of his people. So God is not satisfied with being God up there. God uh, is not uh, distant, uh, alone, uh, and and you know bored and and uh, just uh, distracted. But instead, his uh, plan from the start was to have relationship with people and to be amongst them. We call it. His manifest presence, bit of a mouthful, but it means to have an obvious and recognisable presence. Now, that's pretty, I reckon that's a big story. Speaking as a former journalist, that God is and that he has set his affection on people and that he desires to be amongst them and to dwell amongst them. I actually think it's pretty exciting. Last week, we spoke about God the Father being for us. So we started at the start uh, and uh, talked about the ministry that we understand as God the Father. And this week, we're looking at God the Son. Next week, God the Holy Spirit. So we're coming at God's presence, if you like, from different angles and talking about how it's revealed to us in different ways. And we talked about how God the Father created us. So uh, you have life. Because of God. I mean, did you know you cannot give life? No, let me start that again. Some of you have challenged me already who are parents. Did you know that you cannot give yourself life? Did you know this? Let's not start a lesson on the birds and the bees, but let's just go with the assertion that you cannot give yourself life. That someone had to uh, give you life. And we suggest that ultimately that is God and in the shorter space of time it's your parents. But you exist not of your own volition. And this is something that for some people they have no comprehension of this. They don't think about it at all. In fact, some would suggest they're just here by accident. Uh, you know, mum and dad got married or, and I'm just, I'm just here. And, and the idea that they're created for relationship with God is beyond them and they don't accept that or understand that. So that's where we're starting today, that God creates us for relationship, sets his affection upon us. And then we talked about how he created a space called Eden, which we understand is a garden where it's a space for that relationship to unfold. Now, we talked about the benefit of physical spaces and how we should all seek to have those places 
where we can interact with the presence of God. It could be something natural, it could be a garden. Uh, a lot of people said it was their home last week and that's okay. That's what homes are for, creating a space of safety, of protection, of love and nurture. Well, we can experience that relationship, but not only with our family, but where we can also have a space where we encounter the divine. Now, uh, there's something that needs to happen before that occurs to us. And Jesus said, quite simply, you must be born again. You've got to be born of God's spirit because you can be in the most magnificent setting anywhere in the world, the most magnificent place, the most beautiful garden, but without the spirit of God, you're not going to encounter the presence of God. It's the spirit of God that brings the divine there. Subsequently, you can also be in the most awful of circumstances, the most desperate of times, the most despicable condition and still be in Eden because of the presence of God by his Holy Spirit inside of you. And we see countless examples of this today where Christians are going through some of the most difficult times around the world. Seems so abstract to us sometimes. We read it in the scriptures where the Apostle Paul and Silas are thrown into jail and, and bound and flogged and yet at midnight they're singing hymns of worship to God because the Spirit is with them. And they are, in fact, in Eden at that time. So we were excited by the fact that God would deem to do this and, and wanted us to experience him and was going to send his spirit in order for this to happen. But we also looked at the fact that people, <laughs> that includes us, tend to break fellowship with the God that seeks us out, that Without the Spirit of God, that without uh, his salvation, that we tend to drift and that we have a propensity to put up barriers and use things that God has given us as shields against his presence. Whether it's money, possessions, family, relationships, a myriad of things where we could say, God, we're hiding from you because we... we either don't want your presence or we can't handle it or we're ashamed of what we are or whatever it might be, a myriad of things. But praise God, he makes a statement to us which is found in the, very, in the third chapter of Genesis that I really want people to never lose sight of. When the first people say no to God and choose their own way, God says, where are you? Where are you? Because God comes into the garden, into that sacred space that he created, looking for the people that he set his affection upon, but they're hiding. And friends, we can look back at Adam and Eve and say, naughty, naughty. We can shake our finger at them and say, very disappointing, Adam and Eve. If we had been there, we wouldn't have done that. But the fact is that at times we're all guilty of this putting space between ourselves and God. The good news is that God the Father still says, where are you today? In fact, I reckon God's saying it to all of us every day. Where are you? Where are you? It's not that God doesn't know where we are. The Bible talks about God seeing us and being with us and 
wherever we might be, but he's inviting us and asking the question and it's an invitation to fellowship, to be with him at that moment, to, to walk with him on that day, uh, to surrender that year and that destiny and that, that future to him and be caught up in what he wants for us and how we are to walk in his steps. So God says, where are you? And we are invited to respond. Now, um, this story, if you like, of God revealing himself to people and inviting them into presence with him takes a major step forward. I want to say something more dramatic than that. It goes through the roof. It, 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 it bursts onto the scene when Jesus of Nazareth is born. Because God makes a play that I want to suggest no one saw coming at that time. Until then, we had altars, we had tents, we had tabernacles and sacrifices and a whole sort of system that God had initiated as a first move to allow people to approach him in a way that acknowledged his holiness and allowed them to experience his presence in some way that until that point, without his revelation of himself to Abraham and then to his first people, was not possible. God was at a distance. God was abstract. But God the Father makes a move towards them through that system. But then he shocks everyone and comes as a human being. And at that time, the idea was so radical and even his first followers didn't really fully understand it until after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. God becomes not only God for us, but God with us in Jesus Christ. In fact, shockingly, becomes one of us forever. That God would deem to do that. God makes us in his image and then is born in our image so that his fellowship and our experience of his presence goes to the top with the arrival of Jesus Christ on earth. So we want to talk today about what that means for us, what implications that has for us as we look upon this Jesus Christ. And uh, we call the symbols that happened in the Old Testament types or shadows, they're often referred to. People have gone to great lengths to display how the life, death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ is found throughout the Old Testament. Wonderful literature. Probably the one that captures uh, my mind the most uh, is uh, the symbol that we find at the Exodus when God instructs his people to uh, prepare for the Passover as, I guess you could call it, the angel of death or the, the taking of life swoops over them. And he instructs them to sacrifice a lamb. Many of you get the connection there already. Jesus called the Lamb of God. And they are to sprinkle uh, blood on the top is that the lintel? Is that the lintel? 
That's the lintel. Thank you. That's the threshold. They're the doorposts. Don't ever ask me to build something for you. You look quite unusual. But think about this, folks. So they, they start and put the blood up the top. That was the first instruction. And while they're doing that, it drips to there. And then they put it on the doorposts. And there in that Passover, the crown of thorns, the nailed feet and the hands nailed to the cross. Way back then. There's the covering of blood that allows God's people to escape the judgment of death upon them. It's still the same for us today. Amazing, isn't it? That's just one of them. That one gets me every time. So now we're going to look at the life of Jesus and talk some more about what that means for us today and how that allows us to enter into his presence. The Apostle John focuses more intently on Jesus being the very essence of the Father, the very essence of God, more perhaps than any other writer. And he begins his description of who Jesus was with these amazing words at the start of John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John begins his description of who Jesus is with the same three words that we find at the start of Genesis, in the beginning. And he's doing that quite deliberately to make us aware that uh, Jesus is not some recent invention, but the Son of God is right with him in fellowship right at the start of this creation process that we see unfolding in the Bible. Jesus is described as the Word of God uh, and he was with God and is God. If you ever want to ask someone a trick question, say, uh, uh, who is the Word of God or, or, or what is the Word of God? A lot of people say the Bible. <laughs> you won't actually find that in the Bible, but you will find that Jesus is the Word of God. Just a little question to think about. Uh, he was there at the start and everything was made through him. And notice what it says, that Jesus has life within him. And that life is light to all and the darkness, is, the darkness does, does not extinguish it. And I want you to think for a moment about all the things that people seek after in this world in order to get life, in order to enjoy life, in order to experience a fuller or a richer life. But we know, according to the testimony in the Scriptures, that life itself begins with God. Life is found ultimately in Jesus Christ. And the good news is that darkness can never overcome light. It's always the other way around. That light always overcomes darkness. And we actually need a reminder of this because at times you hear the statement, oh, we're living in dark times, oh, it's very dark out there. And there are things to be concerned about, of course, but we need to understand that the light of Jesus Christ outshines any darkness that might beset us or our world or anything along those lines. So Jesus was there at the start. Jesus is the very word of God. He 
is the author of creation. So this creation of relationship with us, Jesus was there in. He's life itself and he has the light to overcome the darkness. So that's John's where John's takes us in that direction to start with. Secondly, he goes on later in the first chapter to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now I want to just remain at this point for a little moment and get you to reflect on a few things because... John has been recapitulating, if I can use that word, what happened in Genesis, the creation of the first people, the establishing of relationship, and now he's saying that Jesus, through Jesus, that process is going on again. It's happening again. And he says that those who receive him, and then he clarifies, just so we understand exactly what that is, those who believed in his name, that he gave the right to become children of God. So that relationship that was broken is now restored in Jesus Christ by receiving him. And and I don't know, uh, Judy likes to watch, did like to watch, um, what's it called? (laughs) Escape to the Country. Anyone watch that? And notice how they talk a lot about in the English about reception rooms. All right? We don't really understand what that means. We don't use that. But reception rooms, I believe, if you're English and you know better, let me know, are rooms where you would invite a guest into to sit down and to have fellowship. They're like a living room, I guess. So this act of receiving is a very hospitable, friendly gesture And I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but you have the ability to receive the living God. Now, I like to have guests in my home. I like to be a guest in someone else's home. But the idea of God being my guest, that's powerful. In fact, I reckon I want God as my guest in my home. (laughs) I need that kind of help. I want that kind of atmosphere. I want to receive Jesus Christ and have him and all that he is be in my presence, in my area, in my zone, in my Eden, in my reception room. But not only that, we believe in his name. Now, so often belief today is talked about often as you agree to a fact. That's not a bad start. But the belief the Bible talks about is a, is a trust, is a, a, a total acceptance of everything that Jesus is and everything that he does and says and, and that we put our trust in him. But the profound transaction that occurs when we do that is that we become children of God. Now, sadly today, uh, being a child... <laughs> Some people see it as a mixed blessing. Uh, Some children don't experience the love and the tenderness that we would love them to experience and want to have. 
And I trust that we all do our best that it might be so, but to be a child of God is for God to adopt you, separated one, and to take responsibility in the most purest fatherly way for who you are, for what you do, and for everything that he wants you to become. And not only is it an absolute blessing to have God as your guest in your space, but to have him as your father, to have him as the one that takes responsibility for you, that that nurtures you, is a privilege and a joy beyond description. Because without this receiving and believing, we are all spiritual orphans. We're on our own. We're making our own decisions just like Adam and Eve did at the start. And instead, we're invited to become part of God's family. It's God's decision that this happens, as we see there. And you'll see again that phrase, maybe he's dwelling among us. So that God comes in through Jesus and lives among us, just like he did as he dwelt with his people at the start. Now, John there says, we have seen his glory. And we often just brush that past and think, oh, he must be talking something spiritual, you know, Jesus was a good guy. But we're going to explain in a few minutes' time what John actually saw and why it's so significant. So to wrap this part up here, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known to you. And then uh, John goes on a bit later in his Gospel and clarifies it, uh, or Jesus does even more clearly when he says, He who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus said this repeatedly about himself and the Father, You might be a person that wonders what is God like. You know, I can't get a fix on it. I'm not sure who to follow, what to believe. And Jesus just comes out and says it plainly. See me, see the Father. Know me, know God. That Jesus has been sent while we're grasping at these concepts and we're looking at olders and we're looking at tabernacles, we're seeing clouds and pillars of fire, and we've got this and we've got that. Jesus takes away the confusion and says, I am he in human form so that you can get a handle on it, so that you can grasp it. I am he. The amazing, that song when it used to be on the radio, What if God was one of us? It's in a key lower than that, but I I don't know what it is. Remember that song, everyone? What if God was one of us? I used to hear it, and I used to want to grab the radio and go, He is! He is! It's Jesus! They never got that. They couldn't hear me. He is one of us. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. God is one of us. Amazingly, incredibly. So Jesus points us in that direction. Now this theme is reinforced throughout the New Testament and some of the statements made under inspiration are amazing in their 
proclamations. Apostle Paul said at the start of Colossians, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that's Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. (laughs) So Jesus, uh, God through Jesus, reconciled to himself those who say yes to him. Is that what it says? No, reconciles to himself all things, all things. The reconciliation of all things has occurred through the cross. But friends, are you aware of it? Have you said yes to it? Because you only experience it when you receive Jesus, when you believe in him, you are born again, and then the reconciliation occurs in you. But the good news is it's already been achieved through the death on the cross. And then it goes on in Colossians 2 to say, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Amazing! When I used to work as a journalist 20 years in the media, seems like a bit of a nightmare now, and I'd tell this story and that story when I worked on talkback radio, three hours of talk every day. And I could never get over the fact that the biggest news story of all time was none of that. But that there, 2,000 years ago, that all the fullness of the heavenly deity is found in Jesus Christ. And I couldn't get over the fact that I wanted to talk about that news story more often, every day, every Sunday. God has come. Jesus is here. It's found in him. Stop your search. Start going in that direction. Receive him. Believe in him. Receive the spirit of God. And then once you do that, believers, go again and again. More of Jesus. More of the experience of the presence of God. Don't be distracted. Don't drift over here. Don't fail to keep up the habit. Continue to meet together. Praise God, because there it is. There's nothing else you could find or discover that will outdo the fact that in Jesus lies the fullness of the deity and all the creative force that brought you into being is there in Jesus' name. And oh, we give up the presence of God for pathetic things at times. We're so easily distracted. So easily we drift. But there it is in Jesus, the fullness of God. Jesus reveals the Father by two ways. And once I give these to you today, I'm not going to go too much more, but we're going to finish by talking about something else where we see Jesus in an amazing light. Firstly, Jesus reveals the Father by what he does. Jesus, speaking to these disciples, says, Very truly I tell you, The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do only what the father sees, what he sees the father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. So when you're looking at the life of Jesus, when you're reading about it in the Gospels, you're thinking, well, that's pretty impressive and that's pretty good. But be encouraged. 
that Jesus is doing the activity of God, that God, as you might or might not imagine him, is found in the way Jesus connects and interacts with the life of others. The mystery is over. It's found in him. Jesus does what the Father does. Jesus himself said it. He then went on and we also see the Father revealed by Jesus through what he said. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So every time Jesus speaks as it's recorded, we hear the Father speaking. The circle is closed as it were and then we move on. And we're going to finish today with what John saw. What did the butler see? (laughs) What did the apostle see? Well, this is what John's talking about. It's called the transfiguration. (laughs) I mean, what is that? Have you ever heard that word outside of the Bible? I haven't. How's your transfiguration going? Have you had a transfiguration this week? No, I haven't had mine for quite some time. Would you like a trans? Where can you get a transfiguration? Well, it seems you've got to be pretty special for a transfiguration. But there's one in the Bible, and it happened to Jesus. Let's just read and talk about this before we move towards wrapping up. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, some of you standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. And when Jesus said that, everyone. What's he talking about? We don't know. Does he mean the second coming, the end of the world? What's going on? But in Luke, there is possibly a link to what happened eight days later. Jesus said, after he said that, he took Peter, James and John, the inner circle, his three closest disciples, with him and went up on a mountain to pray. Now, uh, as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as, flash, as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendour talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfilment at Jerusalem. Now, there's so much going on here. We're going to read the rest of the story in a few moments' time, but I want to just take a quick break and say... When Jesus goes up onto a mountain to pray, for God's, the original readers of this, they are immediately thinking of Moses going up on a mountain to pray and to receive the law of God. So Jesus is repeating something done by the one of the the greatest leaders of God's people at that time. As he's praying, his appearance changes. This interaction, this manifestation of God's presence in him starts to take effect. And the best that Luke can come up with is just these clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. What did we used to wash in to get that brightness? Was it Omo? Is that what it was? I don't know. What was Jesus using? <laughs> Something better than that. Two men then appear. How do, they, how do we know they're Moses and Elijah? I guess Jesus told the disciples after. And again, for God's original people and students of the scriptures would know that Moses represents, anyone want to guess? The law. Thank you, Anne. I always rely on you. And Elijah represents, I heard it, the prophets, Andrew. Sorry, Anne, we had to let someone else have a go. Thanks, Andrew. So these two guys appear. And what did Jesus do to the law and the prophets? 
He fulfilled them. Thank you. It took a little while, but we got there. So there's these two guys, and they're talking about this fulfillment that's about to happen. That, that Jesus is about to depart, as it were, through the crucifixion. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. <laughs> it's, it's a transfiguration. <laughs> They're not a lot of them around. But Peter and the inner circle had had a guts full. They'd climbed up the mountain. Jesus is appearing different. Flashes of lightning, the omo's working, but they're asleep. But when they became fully awake, I would think so, they saw his glory, that's what John saw, and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Luke puts us out of our misery and just simply says he did not know what he was talking about. He was asleep, he's awake, he, the best he could come up with were three tents for the three guys that looked pretty special. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them and they were, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they would seen because they had absolutely no idea what had just happened. It was a transfiguration and we ain't seen one of those around here for a while. So I want you to just reflect on a couple of things before we close today. Jesus, the man, has done spectacular miracles, has made these claims about himself, has spoken. Uh, taught in a way that astounded people because of the authority. And here he is on the top of the mountain. He's praying and God affirms him in a way that really has never happened before to an individual. And God speaks and says, this is my son who I've chosen and gives the command, listen to him. And the obvious question for all of us to address today is, how's our listing to Jesus going? I mean, that's just, I'm putting it out there. I mean, God the Father said it. I mean, we've all got to answer that question and ask that challenge. Secondly, what I want us to consider is that this occurred when Jesus had gone to great effort to go into what I want to suggest is an Eden experience. He climbs the mountain which would have taken a while. Now, I had the privilege uh, five years ago of climbing Mount Sinai. I was in my 40s and it nearly killed me. <laughs> I nearly died on Mount Sinai. But I had travel insurance. You would have been rich, Jude. Um, but, uh, <laughs> just, and then we got up there and we read whatever it is in Exodus. And we discovered that Moses climbed it five times in his, I don't know, 80s. God sent, he goes up and God says, okay, this is the law. Are the people going to do it? Hang on, I'll get you an answer. Back down. Yes, they'll say they'll do it. Okay, back up. Yes, they'll say they'll do it. Okay, but hang on, I want you to make really sure because they've changed their mind. They're doing something else. What? Back down. Five times. Huge effort to this negotiation going backwards and forwards. Jesus makes the effort and prays. The disciples are asleep. Where are we? 
Are we dozing church or are we praying? Are we in that space where we're being transformed, dare I say it, transfigured by the presence of God as we pray in that place? I want to invite you and ask you that question. Sometimes we are thinking to ourselves, when am I going to change? When am I going to change, God? God's saying, when are you going to pray? Because we can do some transfiguring there. But you're distracted. You're not seeking my presence. You've got some other agenda. But if you want to pray in my presence, then we can do some change in that space and in that place. We can have a whole lot of transfiguring going on. So Jesus goes through this experience and becomes someone in some sense that is a challenge to us. And later Peter wrote about this experience and this is where we're going to end today. He said, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. He's not talking about we heard him deliver this great sermon. We saw him do this great miracle. John said in his gospel, we've seen his glory. Peter said, we are eyewitnesses of his majesty. Because he received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Peter recalls it and says, what I'm preaching to you now is not just some clever guy's idea of how to live life, but it is God himself speaking through Jesus Christ. And friends, that's the challenge I want to leave with all of you today. How have you responded to Jesus Christ the Son Have you seen him for all his glory? Are you engaging with his presence because he has sought you out? He has has offered himself to you and invites you to become his child, his friend, to receive him as a guest and to believe in his name. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the revelation that has been displayed to us today who is Jesus Christ. We thank you for the fact that you sent to us a saviour, but really, Lord, you sent to us yourself, yourself dwelling in all the fullness in Jesus Christ. That, Lord, the days of focusing on this ritual or, or this symbol or looking at a shadow or trying to work out a formula, they're gone now and all we need to do is look at your son and see him and receive him and believe in him for who he is. And Lord, I pray today that everyone here would in some way be touched and transformed by your presence. I pray that everyone here this morning would say yes to you, would believe and receive you either for the first time or for the latest time, that again would invite you into their reception room, into their Eden, into their space, Lord, and would say, come, Lord, come. Here I am. 
Be with me. Transform me. Trans, transfigure me. Catch me up into your glory and dwell with me, Lord. Dwell with us as a church. Be with me because, Lord, I'm sick of distractions. I'm sick of other options. I'm sick of looking and searching. I just want to be with you. Thank you for creating me and forming me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for seeking me out even when I look the other way and hid from you. Thank you that you did not give up on me. Father, I pray that this is the prayer of everyone here and that in a very real and tangible way they experience your presence. Lord, we thank you for the fact that you have not left us alone, that you have not abandoned us, but that you seek us and search for us in every way. And Lord, we say today as we close this service, as we go from this place, help us to seek you out and to receive you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, just as we close here today, I want to spend a little bit of time allowing us to centre on Jesus. And the team is going to lead us in that song that we heard earlier. We haven't sung it here before, but we played it during the offering. And I'm just going to get them to play a bit of it before Sam invites us to stand. And when we do, I want to invite you, if you're a person that is seeking prayer about something mentioned in this message or anything whatsoever, we'd love to make a time to pray for you over on the left here as the prayer ministry team comes down. So just stay where you are for a moment as Sam introduces us to this song again, and then we're going to join together and stand to sing. Thanks, team.